The views and opinions expressed on this show do not necessarily express those held by this station or its advertisers and are strictly the opinions held by those contributing to the show. Welcome to the Eric Little High School Football Podcast, your home for news, discussion, and opinions about high school football in the Mid-Ohio Valley. And now, here's your host, Eric Little. Welcome back to the Eric Little High School Football Podcast. Once again, I am the namesake. Happy to have you with us once again this week. This is Season 4, Episode 12. If you haven't already done so, like us on Facebook at the Eric Little High School Football Podcast. New episodes drop every Wednesday during the high school football season on Apple Podcasts and SoundCloud. Rate us and review us on Apple Podcasts. We certainly would appreciate that. Coming up, we'll recap last week. Plus, we'll take a look at the playoffs for some area teams. And is our COVID strategy working? We haven't talked about COVID in a little while. Is the SSAC strategy working to keep teams on the field? Some would probably say yes. Some would probably say no. And there are a lot of murky areas, maybe more so for some teams than you might think. Let's take a look at last week as St. Mary's picked up a big win over Wirt County, 22-6, the final score there. That's a game St. Mary's badly had to have that came in at just 2-3 and three after the loss to Williamstown, a game that they felt that they should have had, and they fell behind early against Wirt County as the Tigers hit a big play on their first drive to get close to the end zone, but... But St. Mary's turned them back. St. Mary's couldn't do anything in their first offensive touch. Then Wart County scored on a big play on their second offensive drive. So early on, Wart County has a 6-0 lead, and they've hit two big plays against St. Mary's, one of which went into the end zone, one of which led to St. Mary's getting a defensive stop. But St. Mary's actually took the momentum from the first drive and the defensive stop they made there. After that Wart County touchdown, they stopped the Tigers the rest of the way. 22 unanswered points. They got three touchdowns on the ground, two from Noah Wentz and one from Ryan. Bowley. That defense came away with a safety in that game. So big for St. Mary's to get the early stop and to take the momentum from that. The Blue Devils parlayed that into 247 rushing yards. Though he didn't get into the end zone, Josh Roush again carried the mail for St. Mary's 191 yards. It was Bowley that got the score, Noah Wentz that got the two scores. So now if you're St. Mary's, you're 3-3 three and three and not feeling so bad about where you are with your playoff push. You've got Magnolia on Friday, a team that has played well. They're a dangerous 1-4 and four team, Magnolia is. But they have their backs against the wall. They've played a couple close games. We'll get more to Magnolia in a moment. Then South Harrison, a trip to East Hardy, and then Tyler Consolidated. So three of their final four games are at home for St. Mary's. And if you're the Blue Devils, you have to like that. There is that trip to East Hardy that looms. You hope to get out of that okay, but if you pick up wins against Magnolia, South Harrison, and if you can come away with that win against Tyler Consolidated in Week 11, you should get into the playoffs at 6-4. and four. Even if you don't win against Tyler Consolidated, that might be a good enough 5-5 five and five to get them in if they're able to get in with losses at East Hardy and Tyler Consolidated, though more likely than not that last game against Tyler, and it's been predicted by a few people. I know John Mike Nichols said that earlier this season on Countdown to Kickoff that St. Mary's Tyler game may have a playoff spot on the line. We'll see about that. Ward County needs to win out, and this is a team that was feeling pretty good about themselves. They won three of their first four ball games, but have now lost three straight. They've got a home game against Wahama this week, then a trip to Ritchie County, a bye week, and then a trip to Sherman. So Ritchie County, of course, a playoff contender. Sherman has been in the hunt much of the season. Things not easy for Jason Hickman's Tigers now that they have lost three straight and four of their last five, and they come away with a three and four record after that 22-6 loss to St. Mary's. Frontier bounced back to defeat Magnolia. They had some COVID issues that have limited the Cougars here in the last few weeks, but they got a win against Magnolia 20-21. It was a battle of running backs. Tanner Bills for Frontier, three touchdowns on 106 ground yards. Marcus Barnes for Magnolia, a guy that Dave Chapman told me about in glowing terms at the beginning of the season. 
season. 204 yards, three touchdowns, but it was Frontier picking up the win. Frontier survived three turnovers to do it, and now they'll face Monroe Central next week as they're winding down the Ohio regular season. Frontier missed a couple games because of COVID. doesn't look like they'll be able to reschedule those. They got Monroe Central next week and then River the week after in the regular season finale. Magnolia has their backs to the wall, and they've got this coming up. St. Mary's, Tyler, Wahama, and Williamstown. And oh, by the way, three of the four are on the road. So not an easy push for a Magnolia team that came into the season feeling pretty good about themselves and feeling like the playoffs were within their grasps. They've now had two straight losses by single digits. The Union local loss last week was a three-point loss, and then this Frontier loss was by seven. And that's a Frontier team that they upset a year ago. So you have to think there's some hard feelings in that Magnolia locker room, and it'll be interesting to see if they can rally together and finish strong and finish on a good note, even if they don't accomplish the goals they set out to accomplish at the beginning of the year. South Charleston picked up a 38-21 win over PHS. Lots of adversity surrounding that game. First of all, PHS went down there on Friday night and sat around through a two-hour lightning delay, only for the game to get postponed to Saturday afternoon. Had to go back Saturday, and then finally lost South Charleston. 17-point loss on Saturday afternoon. David Parsons threw two touchdown passes, but Parkersburg's defense allowed 553 total yards. PHS has a bye, and then Riverside after that, and the remainder of Parkersburg's schedule features winnable games. They've got a bye week, and then in the last three, it's Riverside, George Washington, and Musselman, with two of those three at home. So, five and five, definitely attainable for the PHS Big Reds, a mark that'll probably get them into the playoffs. Ritchie County got a big game from Gus Morrison in their 50-20 win over South Harrison. Morrison had seven carries, 87 yards, and four touchdowns on the ground. He caught four passes for 121 yards and a touchdown, and he intercepted a pass and took it 70 yards to the house for a pick six. So six touchdowns, five offensive, one defense, over 200 total yards of offense. Not a bad day at the office for Gus Morrison. This defense still has some issues, though. They allowed 20 points and 300 yards with 220 of those plus on the ground. They've allowed 20 or more points four times this season, the 3-1 and one in those games. But how often is Ritchie County going to be able to survive being in the kinds of shootouts that they've been in at times this year? This wasn't a shootout, and some of these points were scored in what many would call garbage time, but the fact remains, this is still a defense that allowed all these points and all these yards. There are holes that people are taking advantage of, and lapses in this Ritchie County linebacking core people are taking advantage of, and if they don't shore up those problems pretty quickly, then we may see a Rebel team that gets bounced earlier than they would like to from the playoffs. Williamstown went on the road and got a big win over Class AA Weir, 31-6. Always good if you're a single-A team like Williamstown to get those Class AA bonus points. That's a good stadium and a good facility up there, and Weir's had some struggles this season, but Williamstown survived the long trip and came away with a win. Tyler Consolidated won their fourth straight, a 35-0 win over Buffalo, so they lost their first two and have now reeled off four consecutive wins. Schedule down the road is an easy for Tyler Consolidated. They'll have Williamstown this week, then Magnolia, at Valley, and at St. Mary's. So two home, then they go on the road for two. Magnolia, always a team that plays them tough. That's a rivalry game, then at Valley, and they should be able to handle the Valley Wetzel Lumberjacks. And then maybe it's at St. Mary's with a playoff berth on the line. So you have to think they'll at least be a five-win team, possibly a six-win team coming into that St. Mary's matchup. Maybe the playoff spot is theirs with St. Mary's trying to take it from them with a win. Maybe both of them are on the outside 
are looking in or are just inside the 16-team cutoff. We'll see what happens there, but I really do think, and I'm really starting to buy into the fact that that Tyler Consolidated game for St. Mary's is going to be a play-in game for the playoffs. Looking at Ohio really quickly, Dover rolls over Marietta, third straight loss for the Tigers, and River defeated Bridgeport. They routed Bridgeport, and so they're racking up wins as they prepare for that matchup, that showdown with Frontier the week after next. And an update on a news and notes item we shared with you last week. The Wood County Board of Education met this week and made a motion to adopt the proposed cost of $1.4 million for new football bleachers at Williamstown High School. The current wooden bleachers there are set to be condemned after the current football season. A lot of people showed up to the Tuesday meeting specifically to speak in favor of these new bleachers, saying they were a community need and that that facility is used for a lot of things, as high school football stadiums often are. They'll put that project out for bid. So at least the Wood County Board of Education is laying the money out. And the reason they're laying the money out now, regardless of who ends up paying for these, and we'll get to that in a second, but they're laying the money out now because it was reported that there is a 26-week wait to get that equipment, to get the materials for those aluminum bleachers. So they want to make sure the money's out there now so that those can be installed when those arrive. And if that's to be believed in six months, so you're looking at spring, early summer for the installation of those bleachers to make sure you have enough time to do that. I'm sure that will probably be done largely with community labor, donated labor from the community to put that together. As far as paying for the bleachers, uh, it remains to be seen how much of that will be Williamstown High Schools or the football programs to put forth. I'm sure the program will let us know if they've got any fundraising events, if that's something that they will have to be on the hook for if the price tag is theirs or if this is Wood County Schools that is willing to float them the cost of that. We will let you know if you can support that if any of that comes about, if it comes to a fundraiser or a GoFundMe or whatever it is that they do to pay for that, whether it's the Wood County School Board or if that's Williamstown High School's responsibility. We'll put the word out there about that when the time comes. But Williamstown High School is the forgotten Wood County facility when it comes to football. Much has been made of the condition of Stadium Field, which has been half condemned itself for way longer than you would ever imagine that to have been a thing that's gone on. There was much controversy when they redid the bleachers there because they were condemned really close to the beginning of the season, and the solution they found was prefab concrete put in over top of the existing frame, and that's been good for them. They, they got that renovated, and they got it up to code to where they could host games there, but that was way, way more expensive than it was originally estimated to be, than the cost of fixing those bleachers was estimated to be. So, because of that, they haven't done the other side, and they really still haven't paid off a lot of what was owed on the first part. The Wood County School Board floated the cost of that under previous administration, and the Parkersburg South folks, who have raised money diligently for over 25 years at this point, to build Erickson Hall Sports Facility, were like, hey, wait a minute. And so they were given some money, too, to build a new bathroom facility and concession stand that sits under the home bleachers. Lost in all this is that no large gift was made or no large chunk of money was allocated to Williamstown High School. That stadium hosts a smaller capacity, but they still provide a vital service for community events. It's the largest venue in that community if you're looking to have an event that seats people and that welcomes people. Things like graduations. I don't believe they do Relay for Life there, but stuff like that, that you want a large public space for. It's nice to have a facility like that and a venue like that. I know there have been rumors for a long time that Williamstown was getting a new football stadium that really hasn't materialized yet. And maybe it will down the road. Maybe at some point this will be the catalyst to be like, hey, we got to take it a little more seriously. we got to take facilities a little bit more seriously, especially when you look at what else is coming up in nearby communities. Again, St. Mary's, Doddridge County, Tyler Consolidated, even into Wood County with Erickson and some of the work at Stadium Field. Those facilities have been brought up in recent years 
years. And by and large, this is something I've noticed in the 15 years that I've covered high school football. The facilities have greatly improved from where they were when they started. But Williamstown's is exactly the same as it looked when not only I started covering high school football, but also it looks the same as I looked when I was in high school. It's maybe the only place that looks like that. And I'm not saying that is a good thing. I'm saying they needed to have some work done to that and they needed to have some upgrades. Those bleachers are still functional and still serviceable, but they've been there a very long time and to count on them to do exactly what you want them to do for much longer is a pretty big ask. So Williamstown getting a much needed thing. It remains to be seen who exactly will pay for those, but the Wood County Board of Education made a very proactive and a good move and the right move in my opinion to make sure the financing is laid out so that that can be done and then we'll see what happens as far as who pays for it down the road. Stay connected with us on Facebook. Like our page, the Eric Little High School Football Podcast. While you're there, feel free to share your comments or questions. Eric will get to those on a future edition of the show. Let's go between the hash marks and take a look at our state's COVID-19 policies in regards to high school athletics. Now, I often said during last year's episodes of the show that if you were to take a 2020 episode of this show or Countdown to Kickoff and play it for someone in 2019, they wouldn't understand half of what was being said. That's how much we had to talk about COVID, the COVID metrics map, the COVID protocols, and so on and so forth, and as they pertain to high school sports and life in general. It was a major, major story, and especially in high school sports, where they permeated into something that many people sought as a diversion and made it difficult for many people to follow high school sports, especially if their favorite team was on the field, because many people followed sports to get away from the world, and here the world was coming smack dab into high school football as it is going to do. Is going to Something this pervasive is going to permeate into just about everything. Fortunately, even though it didn't always look like it was going to be that way at the start of the season, we've seen more of a return to normalcy this year and a return to conversation about high school football, which is always the goal. The aim is to bring you a conversation about football rather than about COVID, because I'm not an infectious disease expert, but we had to talk about it much more last year than I think anybody would want. However, since we're just past the midway point of the season, it's time to take a look and see if the state's COVID strategy is working. Of course, COVID strategies look a lot different now, both in the world and in schools than they did a year ago. For starters, last year saw limited crowds at games and countywide outages of schools and closings of events in order to slow community spread. We had the dreaded COVID metrics map that permeated everything. This year, the country has by and large adopted a model or rather fallen into one as a result of the Delta variant that was aimed at promoting vaccinations as a way to keep kids in schools and keep activities happening. Basically, Delta has ripped through our state's unvaccinated population and our country's unvaccinated population with some breakthrough cases happening, but more often than not, the cases are involving those that are not vaccinated. But that's happened in a way that's put us right back into the kinds of active case numbers or worse that we were seeing last fall and winter when the pandemic was allegedly at its worst. We were expecting it to be at its worst then, and then people get vaccinated. These numbers would slowly go away, and then they just didn't. The virus mutated, and all of a sudden, we were right back into the throes in late July, early August into September of some of the numbers that were just as bad, if not worse, than they were in January when the virus was peaking in the mountain state. Last year, there were a number of games where both teams could couldn't play because of where they fell on the COVID metrics map. Unfortunately, a few of those are playoff games, and so rather than declare those forfeits, in most cases, almost every case, they were declared a no contest if one team couldn't play, despite the fact maybe the team that had done the right thing was denied an opportunity to play for something that was out of their control, and so they just had to go take one game fewer on the record. This year brought a different strategy at the state level. Here's what WVSSAC Assistant Executive Director Wayne Ryan said on this program earlier this year about how the sanctioning body would handle things with COVID. You're not going to have the statewide map with the the colors shutting down schools. So you're going to have each school responsible uh, for their 
COVID outbreaks. So basically, if you've got a high vaccination rate on your team, you're going to keep your team playable. But if you have so many kids that are quarantined, if you have an outbreak and you require that game to be try to be canceled or changed, there'll be no cancellations if the teams can't find an agreed upon date to make up the game, which is really hard in football, mm-hmm. uh, then that's going to be a forfeit this year instead of a no contest. That's WVSSAC Assistant Executive Director Wayne Ryan. Something he didn't say here but said in other places was that the team that caused the issue with the game would take a forfeit, but only if the other team didn't find a replacement or if the teams couldn't find a mutually agreed upon date. And Ryan did admit that is going to be a lot harder in football than with other sports. Say a volleyball team gets quarantined for two weeks. There's a lot of the season to try to make up some of those games. Same with basketball. You want to avoid shutdowns to your team if you can at all do so. But other sports offer scheduling leeway. Well, not so much with football. As far as safety goes, you don't want to play back-to-back days. You can't jam so many games into a limited period of time. Some teams are going to try. There have been a lot of games happening on Mondays, Tuesdays, and even Wednesdays, particularly in the southern part of the state this year, where the outbreaks have at least prompted the activities to be ceased in some or teams to shut down. I know Bluefield and Pikeview played on Monday this week, and I believe Bluefield's going to double up and play someone on Friday because they came into the week only 0-2 this season. They've really not been able to get on the field in 2021. Then you take a look at the Parkersburg-South Bridgeport situation from a few weeks ago, and admittedly, I haven't had the opportunity to sit down with a lot of people on the Parkersburg-South side of things and discuss this, but from what I've gathered about the situation, Parkersburg-South had players that couldn't play, and then either enough of them or enough players at a particular position group to where they were unable to play. They called Bridgeport, and by Wednesday afternoon, we knew the game wasn't going to happen. It became official at about 1 o'clock Wednesday afternoon. At that point, it's up to the SSAC to decide what to do with it. Bridgeport did find an opponent. They found East Fairmont and played East Fairmont. Bridgeport's a AAA team. East Fairmont is a Class AA team and one with not a very good record at that. So the win that Bridgeport collected against East Fairmont was not one that would yield them a lot of points and might even hurt them in the standings compared to what a forfeit win over Parkersburg South would do. The game was declared a forfeit despite the fact that Bridgeport found someone else to play because that game was declared an exhibition game. Remember that game we played and maybe someone got hurt in and you scored that touchdown in and we had these pictures for the yearbook? Well, you know what? That really didn't happen. You got to do it. It felt good. It felt nice. You got to participate, but it really didn't count in the long run toward our record or anything like that. And that's basically what happened there. So Parkersburg South was a little frustrated because Bridgeport did find an opponent, yet the forfeit stood in Willston unless Parkersburg South and Bridgeport can find a way to make that game up. Now, that's going to be tough to do because South's bye week was after the Bridgeport postponement. Bridgeport's bye week is later this year. It would require someone else falling off the schedule, meaning you would want to maybe take a no contest or forfeit in that game and then take your cracks at Bridgeport during a mutually agreed upon date later in the season. Or you try to fit Bridgeport in on a Tuesday and schedule them in, book yourself three games in seven days. Maybe slide someone else back to Saturday if you can accommodate that. Put Bridgeport in on Tuesday and at least give yourself a little bit more space between those games. And Bridgeport does not seem to be the kind of program that wants to do that. Not every program is willing to do that. Not every program has reached what they feel are the desperate enough levels to do that. And Bridgeport hasn't shown any willingness to do that. So this is where conflict arises. I see Parkersburg South's frustration in the matter. However, the rule was clearly defined that if you were the team that caused the issue, it would be your forfeit and not a no contest. And this was done as an incentive to get people vaccinated. I'm not really sure it's working for that measure. It really seems like this is going the way that a lot of other COVID issues are going in this country, where if you don't have the issues, then great, you know, you can live life as normal. But if you do have the issues, then you got to deal with that. And maybe there's some collateral damage and some people who get hurt and impacted negatively along the way. But by and large, it just kind of is what it is. That's kind of how this seems to be going. So is the 
state's strategy working? Maybe. Yes and no. Games are being played. The season feels more normal for now. But you'd be lying if you said a large portion of the strategy wasn't built around getting more teens vaccinated. And I'm not sure you're seeing that. Vaccination rates for the age 12 to 15 and 16 to 20 age group in West Virginia are trending below state averages. Many days in the last month have seen fewer than 100 doses administered for each age group. That's 100 doses statewide for each age group. If you spread that around the state, that's maybe one or two of those kids in that age group getting vaccinated in your county a day or even a week. So far below any kind of a metric that's going to have any kind of a real positive change. So if the goal is to encourage the vaccination in order to bring the state's health numbers to a reasonable place, and it should be that. I fully applaud the WVSSAC for being on board with promoting the vaccine because it is scientifically proven that it works to reduce the spread and reduce the severity of the virus within you. So I applaud the SSAC for taking a stand as a state organization saying, hey, this is how it's going to be here. Fair warning. However, I just don't think that's how that's playing out in the public. I think people are just dealing with the things that COVID's shutting down. They're getting mad. They're getting frustrated about that and how it impacts them. And then they're just moving on and living their lives. That's a dangerous precedent to set because this is a pandemic that's killed over 4,000 people in West Virginia as we come at you today. We just passed that grim milestone this week. And though a large number of these folks that have died of COVID were older folks that may have not had a lot longer to live anyway, it has shortened lives and it has claimed the lives of increasingly younger and younger people as the Delta variant is going through the state. But either way, these are people that definitely didn't need to die this way at this time. It's easy to say it's not killing many younger people unless that younger person is your brother, sister, father, mother, aunt, uncle, unless that person's your loved one. But we're not here to debate personal choices on whether to get the vaccine or not. We're here to talk about the strategies involved with this. And I'm not sure that the strategy uh, is working as far as getting more people vaccinated, but I think the WVSSAC strategies are working in a way that in conjunction with the state government and the local regulations and counties are allowing us to have games that look a little bit more normal than they looked before and seasons that looked a little bit more normal than what they looked last year. So like I said, the results are a very mixed bag as far as whether or not the state's COVID-19 strategy is working. You're keeping people on the field, but you're also not getting the shots in the arms that I think you'd hope to have. I know there were a lot of parents of athletes that took their kids to get their shots before the season started because they knew this is how it was going to be, and they wanted, A, to protect their kids, but also to get their teams on the field and do the things that we were told would allow that to happen. However, I'm just not sure that enough people have bought into that strategy. Pivoting now to Terry Malone, I know he's talking about COVID protocols this week, and he also shares his thoughts on the playoff chances for St. Mary's, Tyler Consolidated, and Magnolia, three teams that are all battling for spots in the postseason. Taryn? Well, Eric, here it is. It's week number eight already, and we are just a few weeks away from a well-anticipated postseason. I'll break down some specifics shortly. However, I want to discuss COVID protocols within school districts to begin with. So far this season, we don't nearly see as many games that were canceled due to COVID as what we did from a year ago. This is a really good sign. Last year, counties were set to follow a color-coded map labeling which school districts can play and which ones can't. Some changes I have noticed this season, if teams are unable to play due to a county shutting down for a couple of weeks or a school shutting down a couple of weeks without athletes or coaches being sick, they miss nearly two weeks of their seasons. It causes trouble on making those games up and it would force forfeits for many teams. There are some school systems that won't allow teams to make up games, say on a Monday or a Thursday, for example, and those teams are 
are having trouble seeking a spot for the playoffs because of it, because the playoffs are set at a minimum eight-game requirement. Although I feel like we are in a better position this year, I feel that school systems should accommodate the student-athletes to the best means possible. These kids have already dealt with so much in their high school careers. They should have at least a chance to play a full season if they can. Moving forward, I want to look over playoff chances for these programs in Magnolia, Tyler Consolidated, and St. Mary's. We'll start with the Blue Eagles. Magnolia is currently 1-4 with some close tough losses to Union Local and Frontier. Not to mention they lost a game with the undefeated Cameron Dragons due to a school shutdown to COVID protocols. Magnolia would have to win out the rest of their season and that won't be an easy task at hand because they take on the St. Mary's Blue Devils, the Tyler Consolidated Silver Knights, the Wahama White Falcons, and the Williamstown Yellow Jackets to possibly even become playoff eligible. Also, if they cannot make up the game between Cameron and themselves, it would be considered a forfeit and Magnolia could end up with a 5-5 record, just barely missing the top 16. Next comes Tyler Consolidated. The Silver Knights have won four straight after back-to-back losses to Ritchie County and Doddridge County. TCHS would at least need to win two more games to possibly become contenders in a class single-A bracket in the second week of November. However, they take on a tough task in Williamstown this week, then a hungry Magnolia team next week, followed by Valley and St. Mary's. The Blue Devils are in a tough spot as well, as they would need to win three of their next four games to at least squeeze into the top 16. They host Magnolia this week, South Harrison next week. They'll travel to undefeated East Hardy and then come back to finish the year at home taking on Tyler Consolidated. And Eric, it could come down to the last game between Tyler and St. Mary's for one of those two teams to even make it into the class single A playoffs. We'll continue to keep everybody posted throughout the next couple of weeks. Some local games of the week, Magnolia at St. Mary's. If the Blue Eagles fall short this week, I believe they will not even be in the playoff discussion at all. So this week is a must win for the Blue Eagles. And then also Williamstown at Tyler Consolidated. As I mentioned before, Williamstown has won 19 straight over Tyler Consolidated. However, the Silver Knights have great momentum so far going their way this season. And can they answer back? They take on a really good Williamstown squad Friday night. Travis Heinzman and myself will be on the call on Knights 91.5. I will also be shooting highlights at the same time while doing play-by-play. This is something I did last week and it worked out quite well, so we'll do it again for the next two weeks at Kidwell. We'll have that for you on WVMetroNews.com Friday evening. And then finally, statewide games of the week this week. 6-1 Clay Battelle at 6-0 Cameron. That should be a really good one. And then 5-1 Moorefield at 6-0 East Hardy. Chopricado will have coverage on that game Friday night as well. Reporting from Morgantown, I'm Metro News correspondent Terry Malone. Eric, back to you. Thank you, Terry. It'll be an exciting end of the season, and I think the push to the playoffs will be fun in all three classes in the area. It'll be nice to see a regular season and playoff push that's a lot less impacted by COVID than what we've seen in previous years. Before we go, I want to talk about something else that I saw in print this week, and I don't talk a ton about newspaper pieces that are written about high school football. I have great respect for the news writers in the state. There's some tremendous folks. I lean on their work a lot for prep, and I enjoy talking to them in press boxes. I met many of them. They're great individuals. I just don't talk about them a ton on the podcast, but there's one piece that stuck out that I read this week. Ryan Pritt had a piece in the Charleston paper about how instead of criticizing certain teams or certain coaches for some of their behaviors, they need to just quit whining and get 
better. The piece was in reference to a feature piece about the Herbert Hoover football program. Herbert Hoover and Class AA's had a good season, and Rick Ryan of the Charleston paper had a good piece about them. And I didn't read Rick's piece, but the piece was basically predicated on the idea of many people might not like the way they play because some in that area have accused Herbert Hoover of running up the score on their opponents. But Herbert Hoover's doing it because they feel that's what it's going to take to prepare them for the playoffs. Joey Fields is the head coach down there. I don't believe he's been there a long time, so he's using a schedule that probably isn't one that he had a lot of say-so over, and sometimes it takes a little longer to get your schedule a little tougher if you want it to be tougher, whereas other AA schools play tougher schedules. Theirs isn't quite there yet, and they're hoping maybe that they can schedule some of those matchups down the road that can toughen that schedule a bit and make them more playoff-ready. They're not there yet, so they're trying to do what they need to do and get their players the reps that they feel they need to get them to be ready by the time the postseason comes. And from what I have heard, that was by and large the gist of Rick Ryan's piece, other than to report some facts and, and tell you about the season and some stats and all that stuff and, and allow them to tell their story in their words. From what I've read, that story's received a little bit of backlash because of the people that are like, well, yeah, but Herbert Hoover does this, Herbert Hoover does that. They run up the score on people. They recruit. And recruiting is something that a lot of schools get accused of. And Ryan Pritt's response to that was, stop whining, just get better. And he mentions that that's the same phrase he's used when it comes to the private school, public school debate. And I bring it up because I'm someone who, for a long time, as a St. Mary's resident and a St. Mary's High School graduate, the narrative I was hearing on the public school, private school debate really started as soon as St. Mary's dropped a Class A in 2002. There was always Wheeling Central. And it was, well, yeah, but Wheeling Central recruits. That was in 2002, 2003. And for a long time, Wheeling Central was dominating in a lot of sports, notably football. They were dominating in state playoffs and getting to the Super Six and winning state championships. But what happened? Other schools went out and got better, and they stepped up their programs. They put work into off-season conditioning. They went out and made sure the school's best athletes were playing football or basketball or baseball or whatever the sport was, and they got better, and they competed. And that's the idea of Ryan Pritt's opinion piece, is that if you don't like something, if you don't like the way another school is, or if they found something that is proving to be a competitive advantage, don't whine about it, just do it. And he was talking about how in life, some of the harder challenges and some of the times you've fallen short prepare you to be able to handle challenges down the road. It's a very true story in high school football, and it's a true story in life. Tough challenges are no fun, but as the Ryan Pritt piece says, everyone is going to have struggles. We're all going to lose at some point in life. We're going to fail in life at something. No one has ever walked through life and everything they touch turns to gold. High school sports should be teaching us that and should be preparing student athletes with the tools to be okay when that happens, not trying to shield and shelter to make sure someone's feelings aren't hurt when those things happen. So I love the piece. I recommend it. It's in the Charleston Gazette. Ryan Pritt, the columnist there. It starts with high school football, but really is good for life. And he talks about transfer rules and recruiting and, and how the transfer rules need to be relaxed. And as far as recruiting goes, I do agree with literally everything he said. First of all, who is anybody to say who can and can't or should and shouldn't live anywhere or whether or not you moved for a job reason or any reason or whether or not you should or shouldn't be entitled to attend the school of your choice. Maybe you're someone who's got a son or daughter that's musically inclined and the music department in the next county over is miles ahead of where it is in your county. You take them there and there'll be no problems with it. But in West Virginia high school sports, you might have to sit out a year if you have to move that county or district. And I've talked about this with other coaches too. The goal of high school extracurriculars should be to encourage participation at any level. So the article digs into that and it, it talks about a lot of things. I'm not going to sum it up here, but I want to talk about this because it does touch on the public school, private school thing, and it hits on exactly what I feel about that issue, and it hits on exactly what I feel about recruiting. It's always the same people, too, that whine about it. They say nothing when their school gets a transfer. This happens for a lot of programs around here.
around here. Most notably, how about St. Mary's, the school that I mentioned earlier that a lot of times some of the first people to complain about the private school, public school thing are people that I knew from St. Mary's who want to gripe about Wheeling Central and Huntington St. Joe's and basketball, but they said zero when Trey Moss came from Ritchie County last year and was a very key cog on a state championship football team. It's got to work both ways, and this is what Ryan's piece is saying. You can't be silent when it happens in your favor, but be loud and vociferous about it when it doesn't happen in your favor. Consistency is what he's advocating for. Either way, read his piece. I recommend it. I think it's terrific. He hits on a lot of good points, and I agree with so much of what he has to say, and he said it better than I could even try to say it. Looking at the games of the week now, it's a light schedule this week on 7 Rangers Radio. No WVAM game, no WXCR game this week. V96-9 has return of Parkersburg South as they hit the road to take on Morgantown, and Light Rock 93R has St. Mary's and Magnolia. For Magnolia, they come in with four losses, desperately needing a win over St. Mary's to even think about the playoffs. Well, St. Mary's is 3-3, three and three, and for them, a win against the Blue Eagles would be the first time this season they've won two straight. Hard to believe we're in mid-October and you're saying that for the first time about St. Mary's, but it's been a struggle to find consistency for the Blue Devils. And Parkersburg South is grateful to be back on the field after their game with Bridgeport was postponed because of COVID. October 1st and October 8th was the bye, and they're going to face Morgantown on the road tonight in a game they badly have to have, coming in at either 3-2 and two or 3-3, three and three, depending on whether Bridgeport game ends up being settled out. This is a team that could get in at 5-5, five and five, but they've got Morgantown, Cabell Midland, Wheeling Park, and Princeton as it stands right now. That's going to be tough to find three wins out of that to go to 6-4. and four. Not a lot of margin for error there. If you go 2-2 two and two out of that, you go 5-5 five and five and feel pretty good about your chances in the postseason, and hopefully you're not going to get a game against one of the state's top teams. 6-4 and four you'd like to have, and you might even host a game at 6-4, and four, so if you're Parkersburg South, a lot to play for in that one. That's why that's one of my games a week in the area. Another one is Tyler Consolidated and Williamstown. How for real are the Tyler Consolidated Silver Knights? They've won four straight. This will be by far their toughest test of the year. Williamstown has shown some signs that maybe they're not what we have expected them to be in past years. St. Mary's is a team that wasn't expected to play them as close as they did, and St. Mary's very easily could have won that game were it not for a couple breaks and some mistakes St. Mary's made in the second half. It was not so much that Williamstown beat St. Mary's as much as St. Mary's beat themselves when those two teams met. So we could learn a lot about both Tyler Consolidated and Williamstown when those two schools meet, or will we see much of the same as we've seen in past years, where Tyler Consolidated comes in and and they're feeling pretty good about themselves, and then they face somebody that has a good reputation, a Williamstown or St. Mary's, and then they take one on the chin. What kind of fight does this Tyler Consolidated team show tonight. And then looking at Ohio, Marietta is a team that has a chance to get into the playoffs, but they desperately need to stop their skid. They've lost three straight, and they'll face Cambridge tonight in a game they got to have before they go into their season finale against Warren next week. You can download us on Apple Podcasts or SoundCloud. Find us there every Wednesday. If you haven't already liked us on Facebook, it's the Eric Little High School Football Podcast. We thank you for your support. Your download, your subscription, your rate, your review, whatever it is and however it is that you support us, or your tweet, your retweet, your share on Facebook, whatever it is that you do to support this program. I am deeply grateful. I know Tara Malone, our Metro News contributor, does a lot of the sharing. I'm grateful for him, but I know he is grateful as well for all the listens and the support that you provide for this show. Uh, It's a labor of love for the both of us, and I enjoy doing it, and we don't make any money on this. We don't have sponsors. We don't sell subscriptions to this, so uh, we do this just for love of the game to provide some extra content for you, and we appreciate your support in helping us spread the word about that. And Hey, if you are a sponsor, if if you're interested in sponsoring the show, by all means, reach out to me. It's not that I don't want 
one. It's not that I uh, am not listening for that, but it's just that I don't have the time to go out and solicit that myself and haven't had the chance to do so. So, you know, like I said, if you're out there and you're listening and you're interested in doing so, hey, talk to me. We, we can have a conversation about that. Next week, we've got some big games on the schedule to look at, and we really begin our run of big games going down the stretch at the last week of the regular season in Ohio. So we'll have Warren and Marietta and River Frontier to talk about, and Ritchie County continues their push to the playoffs. So does St. Mary's and a lot of teams in this area with big games. Parkersburg South returns back home to take on Cabell Midlands. So a whole lot to talk about over the course of next week, and we hope to share it with you, and we hope that you're with us next week for that as well. That's our time today for our Metro News correspondent, Taryn Malone. My name is Eric Little. Thank you for joining us on the Eric Little High School Football Podcast. We'll talk to you again next week, and until then, enjoy the games, everybody. This has been the Eric Little High School Football Podcast. Don't forget to like us on Facebook and vote in our weekly poll. Come back next week for another new episode, and thanks for listening.